Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. This is my home, which I am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the edge. I can see you. I'm real excited about this. Thank you for I'm the opportunity. I'm very glad. This area's been haunted by that old woman all oh, yeah. I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. I don't. Lost? Admit that first. No, I know we're not lost. It's all over the place. Well, how do we know it was people? Well, even if it wasn't, I'm not going to play with that either. And it's not because of me that we're here now. <laughs> Hungry. And cold. And hunted. <laughs> Just want to apologize. Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. Tell me where you are, Josh! Today's episode takes a look at the granddaddy of found footage horror, The Blair Witch Project, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Directed by Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Myrick, The Blair Witch Project tells the story of Heather, Josh, and Mike, who set out to document evidence about a rural Maryland urban legend, The Blair Witch. But once the trio become lost in the woods, they get the sense that someone, or something, is following them. And joining me today to help find my way home is none other than turning friend of the show, Bernie. Bernie, welcome back to the show, man. I appreciate it. I uh, made sure to pack a compass with us for this discussion. <laughs> I don't know how much that's going to help us, though, based on the uh, experience of the three uh, would-be filmmakers, but uh, I'm excited to talk with you about this one today because this is not the first found footage movie that we've talked about. Last time we talked about As Above, So Below, um, and you mentioned that you were a fan of the genre, the subgenre, so I was curious, kind of, instead of asking you about your feelings on the subgenre as a whole, I'm more interested if maybe you remember what it was like when Blair Witch came out. Because this movie was released in 1999. Both You and I both uh, 92, you're 92 as well, right? Yep. So we're both like the same age we grew up and we were probably too young to have seen this movie, but I feel as if we were still somewhat conscious about it, right? Yeah. There was still this idea that like the movie was out there, we might not have seen it, but it was kind of hard to escape to a certain degree, even in the 90s, which I mean, the internet was around, but obviously it wasn't what it is now. Like we weren't on Google looking up every single thing that was coming out or news wasn't as uh, as readily available, but still the myth of the film itself really kind of was out there in a way that uh, it wasn't for a lot of horror films, at least when I was a kid, uh, we were we were kids rather. But uh, what, is, what is your sort of like remembrance about the Blair Witch Project when you were a kid? Like the marketing, whether it was like you saw it on TV, you saw posters, that kind of thing. I'm fairly certain that one of those Friday nights where we all used to go to Blockbuster, it would be kind of the thing to do, uh, grab, uh, you know, two, two discs for the weekend or two DVDs rather. Um, I remember very vividly the ending and that's something that stuck with me for a while, not to spoiler alert it after whatever it's been 22 years now, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I just, I remember that ending like just peered into my brain and um when i was re-watching this i just i kind of had those similar scares i guess or similar feelings that i did when i was a kid I, it was just kinda like a flashback thing for me um i think this is 
And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is the OG movie in terms of this subgenre, correct? So this is definitely one of the first. I think that there were up at like one of the big inspirations for this movie in the format was that they had like those ghost hunter shows, mm -hmm. right? Where it was like a first person camera crew going around investigating hauntings and things like that. I call this the granddaddy of it because this is really the one that got the most notoriety mm -hmm. because of the way that the film was marketed and presented as being based on a true story, saying like the cast members went missing after the movie and things like that, but also just the amount of money that the film made itself, right? Mm -hmm. So it was more about like this having the most notoriety around it rather than this being the very, very first one. Um, yeah. I would I would bet there was definitely one or two before this, but it's just like, this is the one that a lot of people, it's like drilled into their brains, whether it was because of how affecting the movie was or just because of how it popularized this subgenre and how it really laid the groundwork for movies like Paranormal Activity, VHS, things like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, I think there's really the the most iconic scene from this, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, might be different for you, but when Heather's having the camera kind of pointed, like kind of mm -hmm. earthly towards her face and you can yep. see like, you know, her nostrils and the phlegm and all that stuff and she's crying, but um, like her voice is very low pitched and you can hear like random stuff in the background. Um, that, and again, the ending, uh, and not to jump too far ahead here, but that ending, the very last scene were again, kind of seared into my brain, but rewatching it, um, there are so many smaller little pieces that really make this, a, a, at least for me, it was a fucking scary movie. Like yeah. I chose the wrong time to watch this at like <laughs> nine o'clock on a Thursday, but, uh, <laughs> with the lights off, but, uh, I don't know. It just, for me, it was, it was a myriad of different reactions. One also being the fact that again, you get a little bit of child nostalgia when you're watching this. Like you remember the blanket forts that you made before you watch these types of movies. Right. But, um, they, I mean, this is just one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the best horror movies just because, uh, the different dynamics that the director takes in this and just the number of different kind of, you know, out of left field, so to speak, scenes that happen that continue them down this path of horror. Um, it just, you know, I think it, it takes a lot of different turns that people who don't like camping or don't like horror movies, it kind of just purges them all into one and it just makes it a fantastic piece to watch. Yeah, for me, th that scene that you mentioned where the camera is facing Heather's face and it's just like a really close up one of her crying and how scared she is, like that was used uh, for one of the posters. And I distinctly remember seeing that poster in uh, like a Suncoast video or something like that, seeing the VHS cover or the movie poster for it, and it just scaring the shit out of me as a kid. And it's one of those things where I was too young and I didn't have the means to actually see the movie, but I was still very aware of it, right? And it was kind of like me being seven or eight when that movie came out and being a dumb kid. It's like I saw it based on a true story. And it's like at that time period, you're like, when you're a kid, at least you're just like, oh shit, this really happened. Like this is fucking wild. But then obviously it's kind of speaks to the idea like the internet wasn't where it is today, right? It's kind of, it's not as readily available. So it's not something that you could easily run home and Google and just find out whether or not like there weren't, there wasn't unlimited uh, terabytes of data on movies and the history of movies and all of these different things and like marketing Wikipedia pages. So it's really interesting to me that it was able to operate in this world or this space where it was like, hey, maybe there's actually some truth to this because it's not 
uh, it's not instantly debunked mm -hmm. to a certain extent, right? And plus, I mean, I was a dumb kid, so I was like, oh, it says it's based on a true story. It has to be a true story kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, it, I thought it was interesting to like, I wasn't the only one that thought that it was uh, this maybe based on true story because they said that at Sundance the marketing posters it was like what uh, it was missing posters for the actors right they wanted to create this idea this kind of like meta marketing where it was like oh no this actually happened and so then you had people sending like sympathy cards to the actors parents and being like oh we're sorry for your child's loss and the parents are just like what the fuck what <laughs> like the parents just not aware of like what that kind of movies their kids are making or whatever but um in terms of like again me talking about the notoriety like this movie's in the guinness world record for uh top budget box office ratio so the film i guess to shoot it cost about 60 grand to shoot mm -hmm. of course kind of like with um paranormal activity they said oh this movie cost whatever like 10 grand to make but once you get into post uh post processing and things like that and editing obviously the cost increases a lot but based off of like 60 grand to shoot the movie the movie ended up making like 250 million dollars worldwide and so like that is why i refer to this as kind of the granddaddy of found footage movies it being the one that's the most profitable to before obviously the paranormal activity insanity and things like that mm -hmm. um the game stop of horror movies so to speak yeah <laughs> Exactly. But also like the idea that this movie was only shot in eight days. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that that eight days, it took eight months to edit all that footage. Mm -hmm. And they had probably like 20 hours worth of footage, I think, of them just in the woods lost. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think just in terms of like the film's premise and the setup to send us on our hunt for the Blair Witch, mm -hmm. uh, what did you think about that? This kind of just set up for the overall film's premise? It's definitely interesting. I mean, again, when you when you're watching this now on you know whatever 7k tv that you have right <laughs> and you can tell obviously the film quality is relatively poor compared to what we are used to now because it's on you know 1916 millimeter i think yeah i wish i knew what that even meant but sure let's put that um <laughs> not for not 4k right <laughs> um but i i like the way that the the concept of going into the deep into the woods i think evokes some kind of a weird fear for everyone unless you're just naturally a mountain man from west virginia or something but unless you're bear grills right <laughs> um but having you know having those conversations and there's a myriad of different stories that that folks from around town were talking about about the woods about the horrors that happened there um whether it be like you know the uh, that story about like a bunch of ch uh, school children, I think, that disappeared and end up getting killed. Or um, there was like a story about five men that were like tied up by the river. Uh, you know, it just you didn't know necessarily. It was kind of confusing, honestly, at one point, because it's like, I don't even know. Are they talking about a witch at this point? Are they talking about like a serial killer? Is this all a combination of one? And then again as the movie progresses and we start to see the different um the different kind of uh i don't know why i'm, I'm blanking on this word but uh the different types of levers that get pulled for them to continue going down that rabbit hole um you start to wonder again are they just going crazy because they don't have maybe the necessary nourishment because they're out there for like six days it seems like right five six days 
or are one of them a little off as we kind of have a, a couple of very concrete examples of, um, you know, maybe this is a, a weirdly kind of scripted way of killing people and they're using this as a cudgel to make that happen. Um, the, the pacing on this was just phenomenal, but coming back to your point about just that first part, it was honestly a little confusing to me. Um, I don't know if you had the similar kind of a reaction to that, but there were just too many stories I f felt like to, to kind of focus on one. So I really liked that aspect just because it kind of is in line with the idea of like an urban legend or a myth, right? It's this idea that everybody has heard different things, and over the years, how has one potential like little kernel of truth been uh, manipulated or altered based on the kind of word of mouth? And that is an element that I really like. And also, I just like how the film drops us into that world, right? Within the first 15 minutes of the movie, I think we're in the woods. But in the 15 minutes that spans from them leaving their homes to interviewing people in the town and whatnot, um, I really like that we get all these different little nuggets of potential truths. And so it's all conflicting. And so not only for the characters, but for the audience, we don't necessarily know what to expect, mm -hmm. right? We get all these different, we get descriptions of the Blair Witch. We get uh, this kind of like history about several killings and disappearance that occur between 18th and 20th century. They believe the ghost of this guy, uh, Ellie Kedward, who was like a Blair resident who's accused of practicing in witchcraft was sentenced to death in the 1780s. And so, there's all these different factors that are going on. And I also like, and it's something that like, yeah, the movie's so old and this was a first time watch for me that I've had it spoiled for me. I know what the movie was about. I knew the twists and turns before I saw it, but still the way it's presented, you really don't know until the end of the film. And it's never even concrete exactly what is in the film. Like it's always this idea of a malevolent force, mm -hmm. but I like the idea that it, is fairly ambiguous obviously though it's the Blair Witch like it's about a witch that's in the woods but it could be these guys messing with her it could be somebody stalking them it could be just a killer or somebody that's like them another filmmaker perhaps that's just fucking with them mm -hmm. like I love the idea that there's no concrete answer for anything and that really does kind of speak to the truth of what a myth or a legend is right it's this idea that there's certain variables that are showing to be true from based on the uh, interviews that people were giving and whatnot. And yet, basically, until the end of the film, we're left to our own devices to decide for ourselves what is happening. Are they, is there actually something stalking them? Or are they just dumb kids lost in the woods that were getting high and drinking? Right, right. I mean, I, to your point, right, it's like a game of telephone that's been played for 200 plus years. Uh, you know, a really good example of that. There's uh, scene when two gentlemen are fishing by the creek at the very beginning right um and one of them's like oh this these stories are bullshit and the other one's like oh you're bullshit like they're absolutely <laughs> real right yeah. um so again it it just shows us a semblance of doubt of like what are we actually walking into um and again i mean we'll obviously get into it but just the pacing at there are times where it's a little bit i think elongated even though the movie is relatively short um, but the crescendo that happens at the end there, um, I just, I fucking loved every second of that. And now for a brief intermission. If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support. And I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. Yeah. And I really do like how the movie, I agree with you in terms of the pacing of scares, right? It's this idea that 
it doesn't beat you over the head up front with like seeing the witch or anything like that for up until almost like the final moments of the movie and you still don't necessarily get that payoff which we'll talk about but um i do like how the movie for such a long period of time just captures the essence of being the feeling of being lost in the woods right Mm -hmm. like brief anecdote i was uh i was in the woods not a year or two ago like with a group of people and we were supposed to be walking back to camp on this path and i just didn't pay attention and we walked in the wrong direction for like five minutes and so i was and i was like it was obviously i had my phone and everything so there was no danger me actually of us actually getting lost but you get that instinct that like primal fear of like oh shit i missed the turn that i was supposed to take am i gonna be able to find my way back and whether or not you have the the means to actually find your way back very quickly and very easily that initial primal fear is still there this idea that if i spin around in a circle and lose track of my uh location or what the direction it just came in, mm-hmm. yeah, this could be a real fucking problem real quickly. And you and I talked about that a little bit when we talked about um, 47 meters down. Mm-hmm. This idea that if you're in the ocean and you spin around in a circle and you lose track, you get disoriented, you don't know what direction you came from, you're gonna be swimming in the wrong direction potentially forever. And that's the same with the woods, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that angle in terms of just weaponizing our fear of being lost. And that's a fear that is relatable to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then of course, the way that the movies pace, the longer they're stuck in the woods and the more that they're sort of unease and fear at being trapped there, essentially. Yeah, then you start hearing clicks and sounds off in the distance. That's gonna take a whole new level of fear. That's gonna induce a new level of fear because your mind begins probably to play tricks on you or hey, is that a creature? Is that a person? or was that nothing at all, right? Is it just the wind? I mean, I I was gonna make a mention um, that I don't think this could really happen nowadays, but um, even to that point, I mean, they made a Blair Witch, it seems like a a couple years ago, a newer version. I don't know if that, uh, I haven't, so I don't know if it involves cell phones of any way, but to your point, I mean, there are still areas of the U.S. where you could very much get lost. I mean, let alone the Yellowstone National Park and, you know, kind of those big areas. I mean, places of Colorado, like the Appalachian Mountains, like there's probably not too much cell coverage in some of those areas. And there's a lot of forest over there. So, um, you know, I this movie made sure that I'm not going to go camping in the near future. <laughs> but so as we kind of we're we're getting into the woods they have their first uh, they're walking into an area which seemed to be like um i think they said it was an indian burial ground if i'm not mistaken um and i think it was josh that accidentally kicked over one of like the stone piles they had there right they find that strange sort of assortment of rocks that have been stacked it's like one rock and then two and then three and then four and then five which kind of coincides with the amount of bodies that Somebody had said in one of the previous interviews, like, oh, there was five bodies or something like that. So then he's like, oh, are these five different grave sites? Gotcha. Right. Uh, Or I'm sorry. No, I think it was Mike that did that because then didn't he have the goo or whatever it was that was left on his clothes when it got trampled a couple days? That was Josh. Josh is the one who he wakes up and he finds this like strange substance on his uh, clothes or his backpack. And then he's the one that eventually goes missing. So my, uh, later question, in the film. my question to you would be, and this is a little bit uh, a side note, but do you think this whole scenario plays out if they don't hit those rocks? Do you think that was kind of the initiation of all that happening? That's a good, 
that's a good uh, question. And I think that that really speaks to the surprising kind of ambiguity of this movie, right? This idea that you can read into a lot of things that happen in this movie differently. It's this idea that, is it him kicking over the rocks? Is it them just being in that area? Yeah. Is it them sort of stumbling upon those uh, wooden, cro- they're not crosses, but they're like wooden effigies almost mm-hmm. uh, that kind of like represent this mystical happenings that might be occurring in this in the woods, in this area and things like that. And so, again, it really is left up to the viewer to decide. For me, I would think yes. I would be of the mind that it's like, yeah, he, they interfered with something that was uh, like quote unquote sacred or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I think is really interesting. And it's a way to progress and pace the scares out where again, they don't really sort of like delve into the supernatural stuff until the kind of like penultimate moment in the film. And I think that's a strength. And I think that I've some people that I talked to, they were like, well, not a lot happens in between the very beginning and the kind of final act, but it's like, I don't know that I want more than they do because I think in highlighting a lot of just sort of like the reality of being lost in the woods on top of these brief little moments of supernatural moments that become more and more difficult to argue against right yeah at first it's like oh you heard something in the woods it's like yeah that could just be a deer mm-hmm. that could be whatever a wolf or something like that these things and events that happen that you can explain away but then you find a bundle of sticks the next morning that are tied in a bow in front of your tent or you start finding like bloody teeth that are being delivered to you i mean those are very much more difficult to uh, explain away than mm-hmm. hearing something in the middle of the night and i would say in getting into kind of just the presentation of the film itself. And I'm curious to hear what you think about this because a lot of Blair Witch, what makes it so strong or the Blair Witch Project is what is the presentation. The presentation, I think, really is the star of the show in a big way. And it's not sort of, I was assuming I was going to look back at this movie and be like, yeah, that's a really kind of just like bare bones version of found footage, right? Mm -hmm. But overall, I found that the presentation of found footage in this for me was a lot better than even some of the modern found footage films. So I'm curious, like, in terms of how the Blair Witch Project has aged from a presentation standpoint or a narrative standpoint, how do you think it holds up? I think the best way that I can put it is that it's organic, right? There's nothing forced in that movie. You can see the timeline of events and, you know, they're walking through the woods. Heather's, I think in the first 30 minutes, Heather says they're two hours away uh, from wherever their campsite is or their car half a dozen times at least. And so you can start, like, even for myself, when I kept hearing that, I was like, somebody please take the map away from her and keep, like, do it yourselves or, like, reevaluate where you are, right? Um, So just, again, as a person, when you're watching this and having that anxiety of being lost in the woods, and you start to hear the tone change of of Mike and Josh, right? They start to get a little bit more paranoid. Do you, like, you know, it, at first it's, hey, you know, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. And then, at, you know, towards the middle, it's like, do you have any fucking idea what you're doing? Like, what, you know, so it very much escalates. And again, the, the best way that I can put it is that it's organic. You don't, you don't find anything overacted in this, which is, pretty rare especially with these kinds of movies i think there's a we can name a litany of different types of found footage uh, films that have you know four scenes so to speak or things that added in um you know uh, uh, kind of just to make it make the scene better or something like that make it more dramatic exactly yeah but this there there is no need for that um right you can see the genuine horror and terror on these guys faces where 
they start to realize, okay, we actually have no fucking idea where we are, right? And we're gonna go south, I think, um, on the second day they were going south the whole day and they passed by that, um, the tree trunk that was like over uh, the river, they crossed. Yeah, it was it. like a bridge to the other side. Yeah, and then they kept walking south purport purportedly and they make it to that same spot again. And they start to kind of have a little bit of a breakdown and that's where you start to really see kind of the, the tears in the fabric of their relationships. And again, I mean, if that happened to, you know, if we went on a trip like that with a couple of our friends and something like that happened on the second day, if that was a similar situation, I'm sure we would have an exactly or, or similar reaction to it, right? Um, so again, to that point, I, I just, you know, not to beat a dead horse on this, but it was just the acting in this was so good for a film that I wouldn't expect it to be in like this. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that is a big difference between this movie and especially something like As Above, So Below, which you and I both talked about before. And it's like we enjoy that movie as found footage. But I would argue one of the downfalls of that movie is, is that you have kind of these classically trained actors or you have uh, seasoned actors in those roles. And it definitely adds a layer of melodrama or overdramatization to certain elements that it makes some of the like human elements never really hit. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this, I'm pretty sure all these actors had had worked before, but it's not like they're seasoned or they're um, kind of like well versed in their craft, so to speak. Like they haven't been in a lot of films. And so I think that that plays a big role in capturing the organic nature of their situation, mm -hmm. of the characters, of their reactions to things. And it, there's just this authenticity to the characters in this that eludes a lot of found footage movies. And I think that the big testament to that is that their dialogue is mostly all improvised. Yeah. And because it, they worked off of like a 35 page script or screenplay, but it was more about just like the emotions that they were supposed to be capturing. And then all of the uh, interactions between them and dialogue was all improvised. And so that plays a big role in, I think the capture or capitalizing on like imperfections in the end that fuels the authenticity of it. Um, and I think, I don't know if you could make the Blair Witch project and have it be as effective if it was like just scripted dialogue for the entire thing. hundred Because then it just feels too choreographed and it feels too rehearsed mm -hmm. to a degree where you're like, yeah, these are actors in the woods. Whereas I think some of the moments or scenes that kind of go on a little too long or they don't get cut soon enough, or you're like, okay, that piece of dialogue really doesn't play into the overall narrative in a big way or an important way. I think that those, the little moments added up sell this more authentic journey of being lost in the woods and kind of like, well, are we just lost in the woods being dumb kids or is there something more nefarious afoot that's targeting us? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, for me, I think, and again, I don't to totally recall um, the movie from when I was younger. It was just some very specific scenes, but uh, I'd be curious, what for you was the moment where you realized like, these guys are pretty fucked right now. Was there kind of a moment where you saw that and it kind of clicked in your head? Yeah, I mean, the ones, again, like it comes back to the pacing of the movie, how they don't beat you over the head with supernatural moments. They do focus a lot on just the trio and how the realization that they're lost and they're wandering in potentially the wrong direction really breaks them down. And that's the scene when Josh snaps and starts screaming in Heather's face 
and kind of just berating her. And it goes on for like 90 seconds, almost uninterrupted. It's a super disturbing, uncomfortable scene to watch. And that is the scene that I think is probably, yeah, say what you want about the ending. And it's a very classic uh, horror ending and it's very disturbing. But that moment in and of itself is the scariest for me because it's the most human moment. Mm -hmm. It shows that these friends are so broken down that they've now turned against one another. And they're almost coming to blows. I mean, there's a couple of shoving matches even between the two, Mike and Josh. Mm -hmm. But then when you see him snap at Heather, who, yeah, she's insistent about sort of seeing this documentary through. At the same time, though, he's like getting in her face and just screaming at her and berating her and bringing her down and all these different things. And that for me, it just shows like how when you're at your wits end, how you just lash out like a wild animal almost. And I think that for me, that's definitely one of the scariest scenes in the entire movie because there's nothing unrealistic about it. Yeah, You don't have to have them find the rocks or hear some crazy noise out in the woods. It's just people out of their element and what people turn into when they reach their kind of like breaking point to a certain extent. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, I don't recall if that was before or after Josh had kicked uh, or we find out that Josh had kicked away the map. I forget what it was. Did he say he kicked the map or? It was Mike. Yeah, it was Mike. He said that he threw the map into the river. Um, and that's another moment where it's like sort of ambiguous. Again, it's like, did he actually do that? of his own free will or was he possessed into doing that because he kicked the rocks and that ties into what you were saying and again i would imagine that like moments like that they're not meant to be ambiguous it's just the directors didn't think really like oh it could be this or it could be that i think it's kind of just the way that the film is presented and the sort of like laissez-faire sort of nature to the fact that it's mostly improvised and that the directors were so hands-off like apparently the directors would only communicate with them like via walkie talkie and they had them like wander into the woods and film things. And it wasn't the sort of traditional movie making uh, experience as it were. Um, and so I wonder if like that sort of hands off, but structured approach really kind of allowed these moments to play out in a way that it's like the audience like us can kind of like derive a deeper meaning mm -hmm. or a deeper uh, explanation for the things that are happening. Mm -hmm. So when, you know, I'd be curious to, to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think, um, and we'll obviously get into the ending of this, but that m scene where they realize they've kind of been going in a circle to some extent, do you think that at that point they were, like they had just completely lost their minds? Or was it something again, you know, nefarious in a malevolent kind of a way? Uh, spiritual thing right like what was your what was your take on that yeah I mean I really like the whole idea that you don't really know if they've lost their minds if they're in some kind of like time loop potentially or is it just they've been in the woods now for four days they're scared as shit they don't have any they are barely have any food or water or anything and it's like yeah is this a supernatural event or is this just the reality of what happens in a survival situation when you're kind of like in survival mode and your body begins to break down because you've been removed from society and things from so long or you're just that scared, right? It's very easy to make a simple mistake if you're not paying attention and especially if you think that something is stalking you through the woods and there's no help in sight. So again, I like how the film focuses for so long on just the group and the reality of them grappling with the fact that they're lost. And it's not so much like, oh, we have to walk 20 miles to get to civilization. The reality is, and this was actually the reality when they were filming, they were always right next to 
um, civilization, right? The road was always like just on the other side of whatever they were filming kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But even if the audience doesn't know that, the reality is, is that that is what is so scary about like the woods or if you're at the bottom of the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. It's this idea that you're either 10 steps away or 10 strokes away from that civilization, that rescue, that boat or that car. Mm -hmm. Or the reality is, is that you've been going in the wrong direction for four days and you don't have enough food and water to make it back in the direction you just came. Right. Right. I mean, so that, that's a really primal fear that, um, that I think they capitalize on in a really great way. And again, it kind of fuels those imperfections in certain scenes that I actually am a fan of in this, where it's like, yeah, big part of being lost is probably going to be bored as shit. Cause you don't know what to do. And then that boredom snowballs into panic. And then that panic snowballs into infighting and things like that. What is the term? I think it's the I, idle time is the devil's play thing or something like that, right? So I mean, to that effect, if you if you're lost, you're semi delirious, and now you're you know you, you don't necessarily have anything to do outside of focusing on surviving. Um, I can imagine as obviously we clearly see in this, people start to turn on each other. Um, did you think that, and I don't know if this necessarily merits anything, but did you think there was any kind of a sexual relationship between Heather and any of those gentlemen, uh, or uh, did that potentially play a role in this at all? I think that that was a, a component of the movie. I had see, read somewhere online that like maybe people were, um, the two of them were like planning on, this is like an, a, a ruse to kill her or something. Mm -hmm. Like that was some kind of like fan theory that I'd read. So. In that, that's not a fan theory that I think holds up very well. Mm -hmm. But if that were a fan theory that I subscribe to, maybe perhaps that could be a component of it. But mm -hmm. that's not really an element of the film that uh, that ever came to mind until afterwards when I had read about that sort of uh, fan theory that people can be of that opinion. I personally don't think that he that theory holds much water. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's what some people think, maybe. No, fair enough. Yeah, I, I just I when i was doing a little bit more digging like you said afterwards this wasn't mm -hmm. something that i thought of too much during the movie because that there's no indication of it really but right. um there is a conversation of it didn't seem like mike and heather knew each other very well mike was josh's friend and it's mm -hmm. like josh and heather were pretty friendly at least at the very beginning um so again i didn't i wasn't sure if there was some sort of a deterioration on that front as well that led to that snowballing that much further in their kind of relationships. So it, it's interesting you bring it up because if this movie had had scripted dialogue for a majority of the movie, I almost guarantee that that would have played a component into it. And I think it's interesting that it doesn't come up in the film because it is improvised. Mm -hmm. And there is this also this kind of like meta layer where the actors themselves at certain instances were fucking terrified while filming the movie because the director would fuck with the, the directors would fuck with them essentially, right? There's that scene where they're in the tent and then something rustles the tent and like shakes it really violently. They weren't prepared for that. The directors just did that to them in the middle of the night when they were filming that scene and there was no heads up. Also, they didn't know that like the actor Josh was going to disappear. The other two didn't know that. Oh, and so they also like when we hear the audience hears those noises out in the woods and they hear the baby screaming, mm -hmm. that's played on like a boom box that the directors are like blasting out. That's not post uh post-processing or anything like that. So I think that when you're sort of like fucking with your actors in a way to elicit this sort of terrified nature of their situation and sort of their uh, decrease, uh, their uh, like decreasing sanity to a certain extent and just they're scared to their wits end, 
I don't think they have enough time to even like contemplate relate the relationship in that manner. It's all about survival. And again, had it been scripted, I could see very easily, especially like two male writers like this film had being like, oh, let's have like this sexual component to the relationship somehow. But it's like, you don't have any time. You're being stalked by a malevolent force. You don't have time really for any sort of like romance that doesn't come off as contrived or something that is just like a deterrent in terms of like the overall uh, kind of just like forward nature of the narrative, right? It's all about survival. It's all about making it one more day. It's all about being terrified of nighttime coming sort of thing. Uh, this is a very, very uh, big side sidebar on this, but imagine you were actually camping in the woods that they were in <laughs> and you hear that on a boombox at like two in the morning. Exactly, dude. Jesus exactly. No. And that comes through in their fucking performances. Like they seem like, again, it comes down to they're maybe like being untrained or unpolished actors to a certain degree. I'm trying to find like a nice way to say that other than like them being seasoned actors. Mm -hmm. I think that if you were a seasoned actor, you wouldn't be allowed, you wouldn't allow yourself to be in a situation where you didn't know every bit of dialogue. You didn't know every single thing that was going to happen. So to a certain extent, it's harder to put yourself into the shoes of people that are terrified for their lives. And so I think that sort of unpolished nature again, it really is paramount in capturing the character's legitimate fear the actor's legitimate fear in a way that it really does sell a lot of these very kind of simplistic moments in a way that is much more memorable and much more terrifying uh, at least for me well so we we talked about like you know josh disappears it's heather and mike mike is trying to keep some kind i think there was a scene where josh was kind of like laughing and laying down, excuse me. And Mike went up to Heather and goes, we just need to let him have his moment. Uh, It's not going to help us if we, you know, if we're tough on him, like let's just help him kind of get back to some sanity. Josh disappears after that relative. I mean, in within the next 10 and 15 minutes after that scene, did you think he was dead? Like when you started hearing his voice that night screaming, did you think that, Again, in the similar kind of sense, was this uh, some sort of malevolent force or were we actually hearing him getting tortured? Like, what were your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, that, so that's the thing. It's like that is a very kind of interesting element of it in that you're not sure. Right. Again, up until a certain point, you I knew the ending of the film and I knew all of the sort of like directions it was taking. And yet the film presents it as a way that you really don't know whether he's been captured, whether he's fucking with them, whether this has all been some kind of like plot, at least this is where my mind kind of runs with it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what the definitive answer is just because there's enough proof or there's enough evidence to back up those different interpretations of what's happening. And I think that had there been this clear cut answer, it wouldn't have been nearly as terrifying, right? So. The idea that like, yeah, most people probably assume like, oh, the witch has him and they're using him as bait, essentially. I really like the fact that you can lean into that interpretation or perhaps like, hey, maybe he's just fucking with them. Mm -hmm. You never know. And so that's one of the elements of the film that I think really takes these simple scare concepts and it really makes them heightened in a way because you see how broken down everybody was. And then you start thinking about little details throughout the film. It's like, oh yeah, he had that goo on his bag. So he's been targeted perhaps or something to that extent. 
Um, and I really, again, it fuels the lost in the woods element. Perhaps there is nothing. Maybe he went to go take a piss and got lost in the woods. Maybe it's a time loop. Maybe he got transported to a different part of the woods. Maybe he did get snatched by the Blair Witch. And so I love that element of it. And it kind of taps into just, again, the survival element of the whole thing. It presents this very supernatural moments around a very grounded fear that a lot of people have, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we've we've touched on this in other uh, reviews, right? The scariest movies are not always the ones that show the most gore or the most, uh, you know, scare scenes, for lack of a better term for that. It's letting your imagination kind of take hold of what could be happening. Because at the end of the day, our imagination is always scarier than reality, right? Um, so that that is an interesting way of looking at that. That's, that's definitely interesting. And that leads me to a point I wanted to ask you in that, do you think it's a letdown? Or what do you think about the decision that they never show the Blair Witch in the movie? What do you think about that decision? So if this was made now, I would be a little upset just because we do have a little bit more technology in terms of like CGI and things like that. Because I think the one thing and, you know, again, we've watched a number of different horror movies from back from the 90s, 80s, etc. Right. If the costume isn't good it could ruin the entire movie, right? If we see the Blair Witch and she, it, the just makeup is horrible or, you know, you can clearly see that she's not levitating or something like that. I think it would have taken away from the actual, I don't want to say message of the movie, but like the fear of the movie. Well, the, yeah, the work that they put in for three fourths of the movie, that atmosphere, that sort of dread. Yeah, and I mean, half of the movie from you know, probably 30, 40 minutes into the ending is almost all pitch black or them like running and things like that and screaming out for help. I don't, I don't think necessarily if we saw the witch that it would have necessarily helped make the point. I think the ambiguity that was left for us and even to now, I'm just like, you know, I I messaged you uh, after I finished watching it and I was like, the ending is kind of crazy. But there is that, I love seeing portions of that gore because that I think sometimes that does help reinforce the fact that this movie is scary. That whole, mm-hmm. you know, the crescendo, so to speak, of, of horror movies sometimes ends with like some crazy blood and gore and stuff like that. But again, in this particular way, the way that it ended with you hearing Heather screaming because she put, it seems like she puts down her camera, right? Or she uh, falls. Or she fell. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily sure what happened in that. Um, But you see the camera very vividly hits the ground, right? And then you start hearing screams. And when you see Mike come in into the basement, or was it the basement or first floor? I can't remember which. I think it was the Uh, basement. Yeah. Because they go to the second floor, the third floor, whatever, and then they go back down and they find him in the corner just staring in the wall. So that right there, and I uh, mentioned this to Berto as well, um, that was just seared into my fucking head since I was like 10, 11 years old. And I remember having nightmares about like waking up and seeing someone just fucking right. right on the wall. So, um, when like, again, I remembered that vividly, but I didn't remember the context around it. I didn't remember the screaming, right? I didn't remember that this was a part of the myth where, um, you know, at the beginning, a gentleman is saying that 
uh, one of the killers that they were describing, he would kill, he would have like a number of different kids that he was torturing. One would be looking at the wall. Um, and then as soon as like one of his friends came in, he would kill that friend. So as soon as we saw him staring at that wall, I was like, oh, Mike is fucked. Like there's just no hope for it, right? And that's how it ends, right? You don't, you don't see him die. You hear Heather very clearly getting killed or tortured or whatever it's going on. But again, the fact that we don't actually see it comes back to that point of um, imagination is scarier than reality. And whatever we thought was happening is obviously much scarier than probably what was happening. Um, so to the director's credit, and again, the, the way that they pace it out, I, it just, that was a phenomenal way to end the movie, in my opinion. Well, what about you? Three? Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree. I think, so it's funny, they were actually going to have a scene where when they're running through the woods and the camera's shaking, that there's actually a scene where you see somebody in the woods. You actually see like the witch itself, but the actor was either so scared or so distracted when running that he aimed the camera the opposite way. Mm -hmm. And so they just never got the shot and then they didn't reshoot it. Mm -hmm. So that's why you never see the witch. But I'll, and I want to, I have to bring up a spoiler for the most recent Blair Witch, uh, the Blair Witch movie, which was in 2016 and how that movie ends. Basically they end up back at the Blair Witch house in the Blair Witch 2016. Except, and it plays out similarly where they see these handprints on the wall, they hear these noises, these crazy lights and everything, but then they actually see the Blair Witch mm -hmm. and it's running through the hallways, it's stalking them and whatnot, but it just looks like a big CGI monster. Mm -hmm. And so in seeing that, it almost ruins the first three-fourths of the movie because of how much more frightening the tension is and how unsettling the woods are and everything like that throughout the entire movie mm -hmm. and then to have it capped off with this like shitty CGI monster mm -hmm. it's just like okay so the woods were more scary than the actual boogeyman that's out in the woods sort of thing so in that regard I'm really pleased that the original film does not end that way they don't include the Blair Witch mm -hmm. and again like the movie was made for 60 it was shot on 60 grand there's no way that these guys would have been able to make a witch that was actually as terrifying as the legend or the myth itself that we have created in our mind based off of the sort of like brief descriptions that all those uh, interviewees at the beginning of the film gave, right? Mm -hmm. It's this idea, again, like we've been saying that what your mind creates is ultimately going to be scarier than whatever you see. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that idea and sort of like having these little kernels of potential truths from all of these different people in our brain the entire movie and then sort of like allowing ourselves to attribute our vision of the witch based on like the sounds that they're hearing in the woods or kind of like just the weaponization of the dark woods, right? Yeah. This idea that when they have those kind of like quote unquote night vision shots, when they have the black and white uh, camera mm. and stuff like that, like the entire time those scenes are playing out and I'm hearing these uh, potentially like scary noises out in the woods, I keep assuming something's gonna pop up in the woods. It kind of just like weaponizing our fear of the dark and the unknown and the fact you can only see five feet in front of you in terms of like lighting from the camera. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, those moments are much more terrifying if I'm scared of something that's never there or that I never see. Right. Because then essentially, if you were gonna rewatch this movie and you saw some shitty witch at the end of it, you're like, yeah, it's there, but it's like, it's not that scary. So what do I care? Honestly, I kind of appreciate you saying that uh, in terms of the 2016 ending, just because, again, I can't imagine this happening this day and age um, with 
a similar budget and things like that and them not trying to add in some sort of a wish just for effect and right. again to to your point um it, it just it at least in my mind i couldn't envision i i couldn't see like envision them actually putting in a witch that's scarier than what i imagine what the hell they were actually doing and that entire sequence when they're in the house again it's the same exact thing where they've got this night vision and it's jumping between the night vision per perspective and the just natural 16 millimeter dimly lit perspective and jumping between that is so unsettling because again you assume something's about to jump out right and it, really what makes that scene so terrifying is just the set itself like that was a real abandoned building out in the woods somewhere and like they obviously were doing the handprints on the walls and things like that. Oh, thank but God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you're like, essentially the viewer is creating this, their own narrative and explanation for the handprints on the wall. Why is this house so disheveled? Why is this house in the middle of fucking nowhere? This is the only building they've seen and they've been lost in the woods for almost a week, apparently. And so, and what I really love about that scene also is like, there's the depth perception is so short that they can see the interior of the house, but then you see those uh, blown out windows in the background and they're completely dark. Mm -hmm. And the entire time I assumed we were gonna see like a face or eyes pop out or something like that. And it's just a testament to them getting the maximum amount of value out of their dollar in that the scariest scene in the movie is the very last moment where it's just a character standing in the corner, not saying anything, staring at the wall and like, hearing her Heather's reaction to that and screaming and then her getting attacked or whatever happens to her. I mean, that is terrifying because it's so simplistic and it's so unexpected. Mm -hmm. Like this movie, I don't think would have been as terrifying or have as impactful of an ending had she just goes down to the basement and something runs at the camera or something like that. Whereas the ambiguity paired with the suddenness of just seeing somebody standing there for no, uh, uh no reason, like, that's terrifying because it's so it catches you so off guard. Yep. And then the fact that you don't know what to make of that, and then it's her dropping the camera, screaming, and then the screaming stops. Mm -hmm. You're kind of like it's a sensory overload almost that really has a payoff that is inexplainable. You don't have a clear cut answer. The movie just ends. Right. And so had we had like like they've done in some slashers where you have you're like oh yeah the Freddy's dead or Jason's dead, and then all of a sudden he runs at the camera and it freeze frames on his face or leather face or somebody like that. Like, okay, you have a clear cut explanation for what happened. Mm -hmm. The person or the figure or the thing that you thought was dead is not dead. Right. And that is what got you in the end. Mm -hmm. But never having an answer is very, very unsettling. And it gives the movie that payoff that, yeah, it's still gonna be a legend or an urban myth that has never been explained. Mm -hmm. And it kind of fuels into the marketing of the movie. This is based on a true story. Mm -hmm. This was found and these people are all dead. This is found footage. We literally found this and it's uh, documenting their deaths. Mm -hmm. And we still don't have an answer. So there's this kind of like trickery that it's like, yeah, this could happen in real life or something like that, right? And so as a complete package, I just love how the ending really complements the film's overall, what the film's setting out to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I just thought of too, and it, it hits on your point of how the, the action, when they were actually filming, they were always near a road. At the very beginning, when they get into the forest, there's a very specific scene where you see them driving in and they see a black house. And that's the only thing they see in the woods. That was probably the house that they ended up getting killed at. 
Potentially. So in the, my just thinking on that, again, to your point of like, were they actually lost or was this mm-hmm. some sort of weird time loop or whatever? They were, if that is the case, they were literally right next to the road. I really, really like that interpretation. I hadn't thought of that. And if anything, that makes it even more scary because it's the idea that the house could have more victims, but also that their uh, their rescue was could literally be on the other side. If they had climbed through one of those bombed out windows, they could have been right at the road and been in their car and gone home. That's a really, really fantastic uh, interpretation of that. I like that a lot. Yeah, so I mean, that again, just, you know, I think we both kind of, uh, you know, in di- having this discussion that, you know, kind of came to that. But um, that, again, the essence of being lost in the woods, it, that is the true horror, in my opinion, of this whole movie. Like the Blair Witch and the, you know, the uh, spiritual kind of crazy stuff that's going on. That is op- also very eerie. But at, again, at the very core of this, and I think this comes back to like how people just are programmed being lost in the woods is fucking terrifying and that help being potentially right around the corner but they're not able to get there not able to understand that it's there um it just really helps cap this movie off to make it at least in my opinion i don't know if you agree on this, this is probably the best found footage movie that i've ever seen i definitely i definitely really really like this movie and it's one of my favorites just because again to use the word that you used it's the most authentic feeling it doesn't feel like it's Hollywoodized and it clearly it was not a Hollywood movie, so that makes sense. But it, I think, again, all the imperfections make it a more organic film and everything that happens. I mean, one of my buddies I talked about, he's like, yeah, there's a lot of like arguing and bitching between them. And I was like, dude, if we were in the woods, it doesn't matter how good of friends we are. If we think we're lost, we're running out of food. You said you knew where we were going, motherfucker. Why are we lost all of a sudden? Like that breakdown, there's nothing unrealistic about that. And I think that having that be so unstructured like it's just the director's note was probably like, you guys are gonna have an argument here, go at it. And just sort of improving that, I think it, it speaks to, yeah, that some parts of it might feel like awkward, but then at the same time, like you're lost in the woods with the, supposedly like your best friend or something like that, but you're gonna break down and you're gonna react in a way that doesn't always, ra- it's not always rational. Um, and I would say that in revisiting this movie, it just makes me want to go back and watch uh, the ritual. Have you seen that movie on Netflix? Uh, I that sounds very familiar. Can you remind me again what it is? There's this group of friends, and one of their friends gets murdered. And so, to honor his memory, they go on this hike in the mountains, and they decide that they're going to take a uh, a shortcut through the woods so they can get back to wherever they need to get back to. Uh, and then, of course. It's very, a lot of like Blair Witch moments occur and then the movie kind of explodes into a creature feature in the back half. Yes. But if anything, like watching Blair Witch Project, you can see a lot of the sort of inspirations that the ritual took with that. Mm. And yet, like the first half of the ritual feels very reminiscent of the Blair Witch Project. It's not found footage, but it's the same idea, right? Mm. You're wandering through the woods. There are these strange ritualistic looking items and markings. And there's like this weird... um, statue or effigy that they find but then the movie kind of explodes into its own thing it's nothing like the Blair Witch at the end of the movie in a way that's unique enough that it's like yeah you see it but it approaches it as a cool monster movie rather than sort of like trying to keep the same level of tension it's still terrifying but I still like that it feel 
the front and back half of the ritual feel like two different movies, mm -hmm. but still in a way that complement one another. So mm -hmm. I was going to say in terms of just like the Blair Witch's overall um, influence on the genre outside of found footage, mm -hmm. the movie does such a good job of presenting its premise and it holds up some 22 years later that it really is something that I think, yeah, I'm sure, I mean, plenty of people love this movie and adore the movie and give it praise, but I was very impressed at how well this movie holds up on a rewatch because there's a tendency when I go back and watch some 90s movies, I'm like, yeah, I understand for the time why this was a big deal, but necessarily I think it's been outdone previously or uh, post its release. And Blair Witch Project is one where it's like, yeah, I can see why this kickstarted the found footage craze and how it seems that we are so far removed from the movie that a lot of found footage movies are starting to disregard some of the lessons that the Blair Witch Project had for that genre. No, that's a very good point. And, um, you know, I, I, I would be interesting uh, if, to maybe talk about the ritual at some point then, if, uh, if you haven't already. Mutual friend in real life, Max, was on mm -hmm. the show and we talked about the ritual, but I would love to revisit it, especially after this one, just because having that new perspective, because I'd never seen the Blair Witch Project. I was, I was versed in the variables of the movie, but I had never experienced it firsthand up until this, in prep for this conversation. So I think if anything, it would give me more of an appreciation for the ritual. And that would be a cool kind of just piggybacking conversation, right? Going from the Blair Witch Project right into the ritual and talking about the ritual in terms of its influences, but also how it, I think it is an example of a film that takes those influences and still is able to make it its own thing. Mm -hmm. It's not sort of like the Blair Witch Project 2.0. It never tries to be that. Mm -hmm. It just very clearly draws certain inspirations from it. And yet that filmmaker is of such a caliber that he's able to take those influences and still make something that is very far removed from it and something that is wholly original in his. You know, honestly, I think this movie is a really good example of why your show or your podcast is so fun to listen to because you know who realistically unless you're watching tnt or something like when's the last time that someone's like yeah let's watch the blair witch project and um you know having these kind of discussions and and you know it, it's just a lot of fun man so i i can't thank you enough for having me back on and uh definitely looking forward to to chatting about the next one with you well, I appreciate that, man. I'm always trying to have uh, have entertaining conversations surrounding horror movies, and it, it helps to have one of my best friends on to bullshit about movies with me for an hour. So I appreciate that, and I, uh, I definitely look forward to talking about the ritual with you sometime soon. Mazel tov, man. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service, and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.